Hello and welcome to the Arson the Science Guy podcast, where we talk about everything science. You can eat a credit card's worth of plastic every single day. That is right. Martin Wagner was annoyed that his colleagues were always talking about microplastics in the ocean. It was 2010, and the Great Pacific Garbage Patch had been the headline news. Wagner, a professor of biology at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, whose lab focuses on the impact of plastics on human and ecosystem health, felt like the scientists were pointing to marine systems as the main repository for these tiny plastic particles. But let's think about it this way: Wouldn't it make sense for the plastics to exist in other ecosystems as well, like、uh, humans? So he thought about the same thing. He was like, "Wait a second! It must be in freshwater too." So he set out to search for microplastics everywhere. As we know, the plastic is omnipresent. Plastic is cheap and easy to make and mold. We use this miracle polymer to store and transport food, make our clothes and cosmetics, cars and boats, detergents and fertilizers. But see, we use so much plastic, and there's a bit of a problem here. It takes only between 20 to 500 years to break down a single piece of plastic in a landfill. So next time you bag those salads in containers, just remember they'll be with us for generations to come. When it comes to the environment, plastic is pretty bad as well. We've seen the images of these marine animals entangled in fishing lines and six-pack holders, a bunch of plastic bags on the beaches, and so on and so forth.、Now、those are bigger plastics, but there's also microplastics. There are plastic debris less than five millimeters long. So when the plastic decomposes, these microplastics enter the environment from the natural decomposition of plastic. Or say you have a bottle of water, and then the plastic just sheds off into the water. This is how the plastic or the microplastics can enter the environment. But then, how bad could it be? I mean, it's not everywhere, right? Well, did you know that microplastics have been found in places as remote as Antarctica and the summit Mount Everest, inside fish guts and honeybees? So naturally, we consume stuff as well, right? So the plastics or the microplastics might be inside humans, right? You will be absolutely right because researchers recently found tiny plastic particles in the lungs of surgical patients, in blood of donors, and the placentas of unborn babies. And listen, everything that I'm telling you, I've done my own research. I would encourage you to do your own research. And whatever I'm telling you in this episode or anywhere else in this podcast is not a health advice. Just something to learn for general education. So let's trace the chain. It looks like microplastics are also in our food, carried into the food chain by water or plankton, and even in our toothpaste and dental floss. When it comes to eating microplastics, scientists have documented plastic particles in about 40% of human diet, including beer, honey, salt, and seafood. So okay, now we kind of get a picture that microplastics are everywhere. There's also nanoparticles as well. But what do we know about their harm to humans? We do know for certain that, in principle, plastics in our system can be bad for us. One of the earliest bodies of research on the impact of plastic particles on humans examined the so-called flock worker's lung. This is a condition developed by employees of a Rhode Island plant that processed nylon flock. Short fibers cut from cables of the synthetic monofilaments to produce velvet-like materials used in upholstery, blankets, and clothing. So obviously it's a factory, and there should be good ventilation for these workers to not be so much exposed to the plastics, right? Well, the factory had almost no ventilation, and the epidemiologists found that workers were 
having lung cancer levels that were three times higher than among the people in the area who didn't work in the factory. Was it really the microplastics? Well, at first they suspected the workers that the workers were inhaling chemicals, but when they studied the lungs of some of the workers who had died, they found nylon fibers lodged into the lung tissue. This was back in late 1990s, and this was the first case that showed microplastics causing cancer in humans. It looks like the findings were buried in the scientific literature for 15 years, uh, Coffin says, mostly because of the terminology. The products used in the term, quote-unquote, nylon flocking, instead of microplastics. So ever since the scientists who were working on the microplastic stuff have worked to clarify that kind of distinction. For example, researchers quantified how many microfibers we set loose when we wash fleece jacket. A 2022 study led by the City University of Hong Kong found that the clothes dryer released up to uh, half a million, yeah, half a million microfibers during 15 minutes of use. And Coffin says it's likely that the burst of fine particle pollution released when we clean the lint from the dryer vent is many times higher than the United States Environmental Protection Act's recommendation for the occupational exposure to inhaling particles. You might notice there's a small cloud of dust that's trillions of nano-sized plastic fibers you are inhaling. But here's one of the coolest parts I've come across. <laughs> Even some of the most essential ways that we protect our health can expose us to microplastics. Let's talk about wearing masks. See, wearing masks is universally recognized as the most effective protection against contracting and disseminating COVID-19. I agree with the science, but a study by Chinese scientists found that nearly all types of masks also increase the intake of microplastic fibers. When they did experiments, it turns out using simulated breathing and even masks, all masks except for the KN95, actually produced more fibers than they have filtered out. This is all depressing, isn't it? But are there any good news? Well, the good news is that the scientists say that the majority of microplastics don't stick around. We inhale or excrete them. But Coffin and other researchers admit that they have no idea how much exactly that, quote, majority is basically intestinal absorption is estimated to be around 0.3%, he says. But some debris, especially long and skinny fibers, do end up in the deepest parts of the lungs. See, we went from denying that these things exist and kind of sweeping everything under a rug for 15 years, and now we are kind of starting to understand how these particles get internalized inside the body. The scientists do know what happens when these particles enter the body. The body produces an inflammatory response, which happens when the damaged cells release chemicals to isolate the foreign substance, right? This response can trigger oxidative stress. Some papers suggest that actually nanoplastics could interfere with the energy production and the mitochondria, and that, my friends, might induce oxidative stress. Which essentially means that the body's ability to repair damage itself is thrown off, thrown off whack. And the particles that end up in our bloodstream or tissue first need to cross the physical barrier in the gut or in the lung. The animal studies are the only ones that we've done show that if particles are small enough, they can pass through tissue and end up in the bloodstream or in other organs directly. But what happens afterwards is something we don't know. Does it get excreted? Is there some way of getting rid of those particles? There's really not a lot of experimental data that could give us an answer for this. As Wagner points out, studies on animals have shown that microplastics can disrupt endocrine functions or hormones. For example, those that regulate biological processes such as body growth, energy production, reproduction. See, many chemicals are used to make plastics, 
and one is bisphenol A, found in plastic containers and bottles from which you drink water, is a notable endocrine disruptor. In lab studies, scientists have found that the bisphenol A mimics the hormone estrogen and can lead to damage in sperm development. It can also cause damage to the testes and lead to production of deformed sperm cells that have harder time reaching the eggs. These microplastics not only affect males, but also females as well. In fact, the female reproductive system, such as the inflammation in the ovaries and lower quality egg cells. And things are so early that we don't even know what amount of microplastics is needed to disrupt uh, human reproduction. Right now, we don't have an allowable daily dose of microplastics, but I think this type of regulation is going to probably come soon. I believe we need to draw a clear line between safe and unsafe usage of plastic. Like I said, this is not a recommendation, but if you can reduce the amount of plastic in your life, it would have been great. It's a new problem that humanity is facing right now. We don't know much about it, and what we do know is not that positive. What's also a little worrying is that the rate that the rate at which we produce plastic was about 367 million metric tons in 2020, and that amount is predicted to triple by 2050. Anyways, this was my today's rant about microplastics. If you found this episode particularly entertaining or educational, please feel free to share this episode with somebody who you know and who would appreciate this. My month-long podcasting experiment continues and we have 25 more days left to see if this podcasting thing is something that you guys enjoy. And if we get enough listeners, then I'll continue doing this. Right now, we are averaging about 60 downloads per episode. If you are listening to this podcast on your platform of choice, I would highly encourage you and appreciate if you can leave me a review. I'd really like to know how I'm doing. Thanks so much for listening, and I can't wait to have you back here tomorrow in the next episode. Stay healthy.